So when I, when I first started here, like, what, uh, 11, 12 years ago, uh, whenever I wanted a new book, I would call this lady and say, hey, I want this book. And then like a week and a half, two weeks later, she would show up at the church with the book. Here you go. It was great. It was a wonderful process. Uh, now, whenever I want a book, I push one button on my phone and three seconds later, I'm reading that book. It is amazing. It's like Amazon is the best thing that ever happened to a, uh, like a bibliophile like myself. I love reading books. Yesterday I was talking with Adam Garcia and he was talking about this book called, uh, The Bible Jesus Read. And I said, wow, that sounds exciting. And so I like took out my phone and I was, like scrolling, and are you reading the book right now? Like, yeah, <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> this is so good. Uh, I follow this thing on Twitter uh, that is like cheap uh, Christian books on Amazon. Whenever something goes on discount, I get an alert so that I can buy that book and, and read it. I, I love it. Uh, a few years ago, I got a bundle pack of Francis Chan books. Uh, he's got a couple books that he's read, uh, written that are just uh, amazing. Uh, the One of them is Crazy Love, right? Erasing Hell is another one that he wrote. And then uh, the other one is a book called Forgotten God. Uh, and, and so I had this three-pack and read through most of them. And Forgotten God was amazing. Like, it's a book that I don't know if I would have read or, or purchased uh, without it being like a part of the discount bundle that I got, but probably one of the most uh, convicting, stretching, challenging books that, that I've read. And I have a, I have a, a real live copy of it uh, here. Uh, it's about the Holy Spirit. And really, it's a book that's written to dudes like me. Uh, it's written to people who, who love God, go to church, love the Bible, believe in Jesus, but aren't really sure what to do with the whole Holy Spirit thing. Like, how does, how does that work? How does that come into play? Like, I know, I know God the Father. That's easy, right? That's who I pray to. Uh, he's the one that makes all the decrees and the plans. He's like the big picture guy. I know, I know who God the Father is. Uh, I know who God the Son is. That's Jesus. That one's easy too, because like he actually came and took on human form. Uh, you know, we can, we can read about him. We have the things that Jesus said. Uh, he was in all those movies, right? He speaks with the British accent. We know Jesus. But what about the Holy Spirit? Like how, how do, it almost seems like, like, uh, like a faceless God. We know that the Holy Spirit isn't just some sort of electricity. It's not just some sort of power. Uh, the Holy Spirit is personal. And the Bible talks about uh, grieving the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit has has a will and has intentions and has uh, uh, plans. Like the, it's a, it's an another person in the Godhead, but it almost feels like the Holy Spirit works more like the operating system on your computer, right? It's running in the background. Hopefully, everything is running well. I don't really need to see it or know how it's working. Unless my computer starts to have problems, then I need to go find a, a computer nerd to help me fix it. Uh, same thing with our spiritual lives, right? Hopefully things are running fine. Everything's going okay. I don't really need to know how the Holy Spirit's working unless I'm having some sort of spiritual issue. Then I need to go find a Jesus nerd and ask him, what, Andy, what do I do? Uh, but there's more to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives than just this background operating system that's running. There's more that God wants for us. And, and, and uh, the thing I like most about Francis Chan's book is that this is not really a book about spiritual gifts. Most of the books that I have on my shelf that are about the Holy Spirit are, are 
different arguments or debates or discussions about how spiritual gifts work. And, and this really is more uh, about the purpose of the Holy Spirit. The, the mission and the intent of the Holy Spirit and wh- what it is and what that means for us. And, and, and in this book, he's kind of forcing us uh, to, to deal with what the Holy Spirit wants from us and, and in our lives. Here's what he says. Chan says, the Holy Spirit works to glorify Christ. And, and it, that's right out of John 16, 14. He says a, a sure sign of the Holy Spirit working is that Christ is magnified, not people. And then, in his book, he, he challenges us, encourages us to live truly Spirit-led lives. A life that's, that's not about us, or our jobs, or our relationships, or our kids, or our recreation, or our whatever, with a little bit of religion sprinkled on top. That's not what God's calling us to, He says. But to be actually led by the very Spirit of God who lives in us. To give God control through that Spirit of God. To change us, and to shape us, and to mold us, and to lead us wherever God wants us to go. A life that is truly submitted. And and I think if we're all honest, the idea of living a life that is led completely and totally by the Holy Spirit is scary, right? It's not just you. It's it's intimidating. Uh, Chan says this in his book, I honestly believe that most of us, while we might say we want to be led by the Spirit, are actually scared of this reality. He says, I know I am. What would it mean? What if He asks you to give up something you're not ready to give up? What if He leads you where you don't want to go? What if He tells you to change jobs? To move? Are you willing to surrender to Him no matter what He wants to do with you? Am I? I don't know. I really don't know what exactly it'll mean for you personally in your life to be led by the Holy Spirit, but I do know this that you won't stay the same, that you won't remain static, that it is not the Holy Spirit's will for our lives that we stagnate, but it is that Holy Spirit in us that stretches us and grows us and changes us more and more into the image of Christ that makes us this this light that reflects the glory and the greatness of Jesus Christ. The result of the Holy Spirit of God really living in us and us being led by Him will be a life that increasingly magnifies Jesus. Let's read through uh, some of the events of the day of Pentecost. If you have your Bible, open to to Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at at verses 1 through uh, 13 this morning. And then talk a little bit about what uh, some of these things might mean for us today. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. 
And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues of fire distributing themselves. And they rested on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. When this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, "Why are, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judah and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and uh, Phrygia and uh, Pamphylia and Egypt and districts of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? Others were mocking saying they're full of sweet wine. So what we have here is a, 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 this event taking place on the day of Pentecost. Pentecost is a word that just means 50. Uh, it's a holiday that was celebrated 50 days after Passover. Uh, it was a holiday that was also known as the Feast of Weeks uh, and the Feast of Harvest because it was a holiday that celebrated God's provision and, and part of the way they celebrated was returning the first fruits of their harvest back to God as a sacrifice. This is also a holiday that traditionally celebrated the giving of the law to Moses. So this was a big deal. This was a, a big holiday that, that had a lot of meaning and symbolism to it. And, and and with a lot of the other Jewish holidays, people would travel from all over the place to Jerusalem to celebrate. This was a holiday that took place in like mid-June, so the weather was really nice. So uh, uh, this was one that a lot of people would go to. It was packed. And so it makes sense that all of these different Jewish people from all of these different regions were there in Jerusalem celebrating. And I don't think it was an accident that God chose this day, this holiday, a day that, that celebrated the giving of the law of Moses for God to give the Spirit of God to His people. A, a clear sign that there's been this transition from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. From, from this period of law to now this period of grace that's marked by the Spirit of God being given to men. And it's fitting that the holiday that celebrated the harvest is the day that sees this great harvest of souls to Jesus. So the, the apostles, they're, they're all together uh, in one room praying, just like Jesus told them to do. Go, go to Jerusalem. Wait for the Holy Spirit to come. So they're, they're praying together. They're waiting. They're anticipating the Spirit. And man, the Spirit shows up in, in dramatic fashion. So that there could be no doubt about what's happening. There's a loud rushing wind. It's not a gentle breeze, but something that would have been loud and clear. 
And there's a fire, something that looks like tongues of flame that's landing on each one of them. They hear it and they feel it. There's no doubt that that thing that God, Jesus had promised them is, is happening right now. I think it's worth taking note of the symbols that Luke mentions here of the Holy Spirit, wind and fire, because they, they have meaning. First, the Spirit arrives in the form of a wind, right? The Hebrew word for, for, for Spirit is ruach. You have to say it really gutturally. <laughs> ruach, which means Spirit. But it also means wind and breath. It's the same word that's used for those uh, three things. It's a, a word and a concept that's also often connected with, with life. New life and, and, and creation and, and recreation. In the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. And there is, is the Spirit of God hovering over the surface of the waters. And God forms man out of the dust of the earth. And in this, this lifeless lump of clay, breathes into Him the breath of life. Maybe one of the most uh, dramatic pictures is seen in Ezekiel. Uh, we, we sang a song about it uh, just a few minutes ago. In Ezekiel, God is showing uh, Ezekiel this image. He says, "The hand of the Lord was upon me, and He brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones." He caused me to pass among them round about. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And lo, they were very dry. You get the picture there? God is showing Ezekiel this valley that's just covered in white. Covered in dried out bones. Ezekiel says, And God said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, Oh Lord God, You know. I don't know. <laughs> Only You know, God. He said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O oh, dry bones, hear the Word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you that you may come to life. Who can breathe life into a lifeless lump of clay? Only God can do that. Who can breathe a life into dead and dried out bones? Only God can accomplish that. Wherever His breath blows, there is life. Jesus is explaining uh, to Nicodemus, a Pharisee, uh, the way of salvation. He tells Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. And Nicodemus says, that won't work. I don't know how you could be born a second time. Once you're born, that's it. And Jesus says, no, no it's, not a, it's not a physical thing I'm talking about here. I'm talking about a spiritual thing. In John 3, 7, Jesus says, don't be amazed that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from or where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. New life, eternal life, is breathed into us through the breath of God, through His Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit is a wind, and the Holy Spirit is described as a fire. And often in the Old Testament, fire represents the presence of God. Moses sees a burning bush that's not consumed, and he approaches, and when he gets near, he's told to take off his sandals because the ground that he's standing on is holy ground. And God speaks to Moses through that fire. As the Israelites are leaving Egypt, they're led by God who's leading them in a pillar of cloud and and fire. Pentecost, the day that's, that's again celebrating when Moses receives the law from God on Mount Sinai. Here's how Exodus describes Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace. And the whole mountain quaked violently. Come on up, Moses. It'll be fine. (laughs) must have been scary. The presence of God in a a real special way was, was there on that mountain. There's no doubt. There's no doubt that God was there. There's no doubt that it was God who who was leading His people through that pillar of fire in the desert. There's no doubt that it was God who was speaking to Moses in that burning bush. And there was absolutely no doubt in, in these disciples' minds that it was God's presence that was there descending on them on that day of Pentecost. Those symbols of wind and fire show that that the presence of God is with them. Amazing. And the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in their lives has a dramatic effect on them right away, right? And And what happens next teaches us a lot about the purpose of the Spirit. The first thing that happens is that their mouths are opened. They begin to proclaim all the wonders of God in every language. I think this is one of the most amazing miracles in the whole Bible. Here, the curse of Babel is undone. The confusion that had been caused by many languages is just obliterated by God here. And not only are they filled with boldness and with clarity, but also with wisdom. And they speak and the content of their words is the Lordship of Jesus Christ to the glory of God. They speak in a way that makes it completely clear that God is doing something. That God has shown up here. That this is a miracle. And the people who hear it are are amazed. They know that Peter and John haven't learned all of these languages These are just Galileans. These are people that are infamous for not even speaking their own language very well. Now they're speaking all these other languages? There's no way. The apostles receive no glory for this miracle, right? Only God does, which is kind of the way it's supposed to be. Francis Chan in his book says, let's pray that God would empower us so radically that we would get no glory. Does that make sense? Pray that God would empower us so radically that we would get no glory. 
God, make it so obvious that it's you working in our lives that when people see us, they aren't impressed with us, but they give you the glory that you deserve. When I, when I first became pastor here, I would run into people. I grew up in Woodland. I'm from here. I went to school here. I would run into people who I, I went to school with that knew me from when I was younger and kind of a spaz. And they would say, you're a pastor? Wow, really? Like, I didn't even think they would let you in a church. That's weird. How do you respond to that? Like, exactly? <laughs> what do you say? <laughs> the only thing I could say is, I know, right? <laughs> Praise God. I want that. I want more of that. I want that for, for every single one of you. I want people to look at you and be amazed when they see you. I'm amazed at what God is doing through you. So, so amazed at your life that it's obvious that it's God and not you. Wow, you are so loving and gentle. How is that possible? Because you used to be such a jerk. I know, right? Praise God. Right? You are teaching the Bible like you're leading a community group. You're just a, you're just a mechanic. You're just a plumber. You're just, I know, right? I, praise God. You're so calm and comforting. But it, it, you've been through so much suffering and difficulty in your life. How is that possible? I know, right? Praise God. How is it that you're so bold in sharing your faith? You used to be so shy and reserved. I know, right? Praise God. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to shine through us in such a way that people see Jesus. In such a way that people praise God. The Holy Spirit will open our mouths to enable us to point people to Jesus. The Holy Spirit will transform our lives so that we can be people who are loving and gentle and exhibiting all those fruits of the Spirit in a way that's different and not normal will cause people to praise Jesus. The Holy Spirit will empower us to be able to serve the body of Christ in such a way that we're built up and Jesus is proclaimed more. Because you see, the Holy Spirit really isn't about us. Isn't given for us. The Holy Spirit is really about Jesus. And Jesus promised this back in John 15 that when the Holy Spirit came, mouths would be opened. John 15.26 When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father... That is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. He will testify about Me. And you will testify also. Because you've been with Me from the beginning. The Holy Spirit enables us to bear witness to the power and glory of Jesus in our words and in our deeds. But there's there's something else that the Holy Spirit does uh, on that day, right? Uh, Something He still does 
today. Something that, that we desperately need him to continue to do today. Not only did he open the mouths of the apostles so that they could speak about Jesus, but he opened the ears of the hearers so that they could hear the word about Jesus. Look at Acts 2, 5. There were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. When the sound occurred, the crowd came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. Interesting. Interesting here, right? What exactly is the miracle? There's a little bit of of controversy and confusion here. Was it that the apostles are speaking every single different language that's out there? Or is it that uh, the apostles are speaking one sentence and everybody out there hears it in their own language? I think, I don't know, maybe both. <laughs> I think maybe the sound that they're hearing uh, here in verse 6 is the sound of someone speaking your own language. Have you ever traveled out of the country to a place where they speak a foreign language? France or Mexico or Canada? It's different. <laughs> I, took, I took French in high school. I took three years of French in high school, which in retrospect, I probably should have taken Spanish. But I got to go uh, with the French club to France. And it's fun to like practice and to try it out and to, to speak a, a different language. Uh, but man, when you hear somebody speaking English when you're in that setting, oh, it's just so, it's soothing, like it's reassuring, it's, it's refreshing to hear it. Because, you know, there's that, there's that language barrier that makes you feel so helpless. When you're in this kind of setting, and they would have heard somebody speaking their language. The the apostles speaking a familiar language would have drawn a huge crowd. People would have wanted to hear more. All of the the different nations there, they all say the same thing. We hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. This is amazing. John 16.8, Jesus said to them, the Holy Spirit, when He comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit, when He comes, is going to open up ears. Not just to enable them to to hear the words. Really, it's going to open up their hearts to enable them to receive the Word of the Lord. The Holy Spirit helps to break through this, this sinful, selfish pride that we're all born with. The Holy Spirit brings about a change in us to enable us to hear and understand the things of God. In 1 Corinthians 2, Paul says this, We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. So Paul understands that his ability, their ability to even understand anything about God is a gift from God. And he goes on to say, this is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths and spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he he cannot understand them because they're spiritually discerned. 
So, so maybe the greatest miracle on the day of Pentecost uh, wasn't that there was a bunch of guys who could speak different languages, or there was a lot of people who could understand in their own language. But the greatest miracle is that these spiritual truths were heard and understood and believed by so many people. Without a work of God through the Holy Spirit to open our blind eyes and unclog our deaf ears, bring to life our dead hearts, none of us would hear or understand who God is and what He's done. The, the only part I don't understand, I mean, I get, I get most of this story. The one thing that I still struggle with so much is verse 13. But others were mocking, saying, they are full of sweet wine. What did these mockers hear in their ears? I wonder. I don't, I don't know. I don't think they heard words. I don't think they heard any language. I think these are the people that represent those who are so stubborn and rebellious and closed off to the things of God that they refuse to listen, that they've got their fingers deep in their spiritual ear. There's just no way they want to hear any of it. Because they're so unwilling to hear. I think it's like Paul says in in that passage from 1 Corinthians. Spiritual things are just foolish to them. They can't understand. Think about it. If these mockers had actually heard the words, if they had heard the apostles speaking in an understandable language, would their conclusion have been, I think they're just drunk? Is that what happens? Like, is that what happens to you when you get drunk? You're all of a sudden fluent in French? Does that happen to anybody? (laughs) That doesn't happen. So instead of being amazed at this miracle that's taking place in front of them, they just make fun of them. You guys must be wasted. Their ears are plugged and their hearts are hard. And they miss out on what Peter has to say next because of their arrogant rejection of the Holy Spirit of God that's blowing through that place. Please, don't let that be you. Don't don't have that kind of hardness of heart. Don't sit here with your with your fingers in your ears. Don't allow pride or fear to prevent you from hearing and understanding spiritual things. Listen. Listen. He, open up your ears and hear all about the mighty deeds of this great awesome God all that He's done through the power of Jesus. Let me close with this passage written by Paul. He's writing this to a fellow pastor named Titus. Titus chapter 3, verse 3, it says, At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of His mercy. 
He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs having a hope of eternal life. Listen, it's, it's a scary prayer to pray. But I think we need to pray that the Holy Spirit of God would, would blow through us in a fresh way. That He would relight that fire in us. That your mouth would be opened and that you would proclaim all the wonders of God And that He would cause everybody around you to be able to hear about how awesome this Jesus is. God, I pray that for us right now. That You would enable us, Lord, to speak boldly the truth of who You are and what You've done. I pray, God, that Your Spirit would move in us in ways that cause the people who are around us to take note. To recognize that there's something happening that isn't from us. Something that's miraculous. Lord, I pray that You would do such radical things in us and through us that we would receive no glory and that You would get all the praise. I pray that You would open the ears of people who need to hear this Gospel of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Thank You again so much, God, for not leaving us as orphans, but for giving us Your Holy Spirit to convict us and to lead us and to guide us and to change us. To empower us to do all the things that You've called us to do. Lord, may we be faithful to live lives that are honoring and glorifying to You. In Jesus' name, Amen.